Well, hey, y'all. How you doing? You keeping well? I hope you are finding some joy and liberation and rest as the world seems to be slowly peeping her head out from under the covers. Um, We have had a very full spring, very full Easter season, now into the season after Pentecost. Um, I'm now officially a father, which is pretty exciting. I was ordained to the priesthood in April in a beautiful, crisp, sunny day at Seminary of the Southwest, and so grateful, so grateful for uh, all that was full in that day, all that was beautiful and full. Um, And as I've been preparing to preach for this coming Sunday, I've been, one, just missing making this podcast, and it's just me today. Um... And I wanted to kind of get to dip my toe back into the podcasting world. And also a practice that I have is I, when I've preached a certain lectionary Sunday before, which is increasingly becoming more regular that I've, I've preached almost everything at least once, I'll go back and read or listen to the sermon I preached last time. And sometimes that like affords me some of the exegetical legwork that I've already done before, but also it's just a, a good exercise to see how I've grown and changed. And let me tell you, uh, we were able to visit some family in North Carolina last week, which was wonderful. And they all were like, your accent has really changed and I can't really hear it. And then I listened to this sermon and I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) three years in Texas will do that to you. But three years ago, we were preparing to leave North Carolina and I gave the sermon that you're about to hear at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Durham, North Carolina, which is a wonderful affirming community. It's the church that sponsored both of us for the priesthood. Shout out to the Reverend Helen Svoboda Barber, who's the rector and a dear friend um, and incredibly kind supporter of this podcast. You're a gem. Um, and I'm just going to be real with you because I, I believe in women, especially celebrating our accomplishments. This is a sermon I'm very proud of. It's a sermon I, I really feel like synthesized a lot of things for me, and um, I want to share that with y'all. I want to offer that to y'all, uh, and I'm very deliberately not preaching on Genesis 3 this week, not because I don't want to. I do, but sometimes I think it's good to stretch ourselves, and I've done a lot of preaching on the Hebrew Bible and feast days recently, so it's I feel like it's time for me to dive into the gospel, which I got to be real with you. The gospel this week is also very rich, but... For now, here's a message from three years ago about vulnerability, shame, original sin, and Eve, because I know that y'all like it when I talk about women in the Bible, and Eve happens to be one of my favorites. So without further ado, thanks, y'all. I hope you're doing well, and talk to you soon. Pray with me. A prayer of St. Julian of Norwich. In you, Father Almighty, we have our preservation and our bliss. In you, Christ, we have our restoring and our saving. You are our mother, brother, and savior. In you, Lord Holy Spirit, is plenteous grace. You are our clothing for your love wraps and embraces us. Amen. Good morning, St. Luke's. I love a response. (laughs) My name is Lizzie McManus-Dale, for those of you whom I don't know. I am an aspirant for holy orders supported by this church. 
And come the first week in August, my spouse Jonathan and I will be moving to Austin, Texas in obedience to our ordination process. So this will be my last sermon with all of you for a little while. And uh, with that in mind, I was really hoping to, to preach a sermon about God's love and God's tenderness. You know, I was just so inspired by Bishop Curry at the royal wedding a couple weeks ago. Wasn't that just such a warm sermon? And, uh, and then I read the texts and saw that Genesis 3 was among them. So here we go, St. Luke's original sin. <laughs> Bible were a series of movies. This story, the story of the first people made by God, the story of people we have come to call Adam and Eve, this would for sure be in the top 40 Christian classics. Probably even the top five, right? This is a story we hear in Sunday school from little ages. This is a story depicted in stained glass windows and frescoes in churches all over the world. We know this story. Or do we? Sometimes stories in the Bible take on a life of their own. This is kind of the point of scripture. This is why we call it the living word. These stories, stories of Eve and Adam, of Mary and Jesus, these are not dried up old folk tales. They are alive. And this, by and large, is a good thing. When the stories really live, we know we are working to know a living God through a living word, wherein God still has something to say to us. But this also means that sometimes the retelling and retelling and retelling and retelling of a story starts to obscure that original text. For example, it was not until I was in a Women in the Bible course in college that I learned something about Eve. My whole life, I had heard that Eve was a temptress. That she, with long, luscious Renaissance locks, lured Adam into eating that forbidden fruit. And do you know what Genesis 3 actually says? This, these few verses come just before the reading you heard this morning. Oh, Genesis chapter 3. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you shouldn't eat from the trees in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During the day's cool evening breeze, they heard the Lord God approaching. This is where our reading for today picks up. Both people have chosen to eat. Both people have listened to the serpent and they both decided it would be good to be like God. It would be good to be like God. Have you ever been tempted? I don't mean by a Renaissance Eve with her well-placed hair because my goodness, can we give that trope up? (laughs) I mean tempted, lured in by your own cunning, by your own insight, your own intelligence, or your own beauty, or your own power to think that you know better than God. There are times, certainly, when we know what is best for someone else. I think of every parent who has ever rushed to stop a child's hand from touching a hot stove. I think of every child who explains again to an aging parent why the nurse is in the room. That is not the kind of knowing better that I am talking about. I'm talking about the temptation to play God. I'm talking about thinking we know who deserves to be in the garden and who most certainly must be cast out. I'm talking about lust for power. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about the desire to be in control. I'm, well, I'm talking about sin. And here it is, the moment of original sin. Eve and Adam have eaten of the forbidden fruit, and immediately they see that they are naked. And then they hear God approaching. So they hide. They hide themselves in the trees, in the very foliage of their folly. It strikes me that the snake told Adam and Eve that the fruit would help them know good from evil, but what they see is that they are naked. And then they decide to cover themselves because they have decided their vulnerability is evil, even though they have been naked the whole time. And God says, where are you? Does God know? Does God know what is about to happen? I mean, surely, yes, God has created the multiverses, had the vision to cast these people into place, and yet, what happens next feels like it shocks God. The man emerges sheepish from behind a tree and confesses, I heard your sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. It's almost like he's saying, I knew you would see me as I now see me. Flaws, bumps, lumps, bruises, scars, stretch marks, and all. I knew you would see me vulnerable, so I hid. 
And God says, how did you know? How did you know and why did you, have, why did you hide when I have made you just the same in that body before you ate and after? And the man, not only wanting to hide himself from God, decides to shift the blame. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate. The woman is not much better. She admits that the snake tricked her. She doesn't speak of her desire to be like God. And here is that moment of sin. Sin is choosing to hide from our own vulnerability. And sin is blaming someone else, anyone else, our spouse, God, the snakes in the grass for the decisions to hide. Sin is choosing to turn away from God. Sin is choosing our anger, our fear, our shame, instead of turning to face God who is looking for us. And God does blame the snake in part. God tells the serpent there will forever be enmity between its offspring and the woman's. Take note. God specifies the offspring of the woman. God is claiming all of humanity to come through Eve. I don't think the point of the story is that these two people were factually the very first people who ever lived, and I certainly don't think the point of this story is that women must forever suffer the fate of an Eve who was clever enough to talk to snakes and foolish enough to believe them. I don't even think this is a story of how humanity was always doomed to fail. I think perhaps this story asks us to dare to believe that God believes in us. This story asks us to dare to believe that God believes in us. Do you hear that shock? That pain in God's voice when God realizes what they have done. And don't you remember what God does for us? God comes into the world through another mother, Mary. Mary, one of Eve's offspring, and Jesus, who is Mary's child, and Jesus Christ as fully human and fully divine stands today in our gospel lesson in a thick crowd of hungry, irritable, sick, pushy people and says, you are my mothers. You who were told by my own self that there would be pain and suffering, you are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. You are my family, no matter what. I shared at the beginning of this sermon that I really, really wanted to preach about God's love. And actually, I think that's what this story is about. I think this story of sin and sadness is ultimately a story about God's love for us. God's ridiculous belief that we can be good. And God's shock and God's hurt when we choose otherwise because we are God's family, no matter what. 
Amen. So there it is, a message from three years ago at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. Uh, I love, even if it is a little bit grating, that you can hear how squeaky that pulpit is. <laughs> I recorded that with my phone just right in front of me the whole time, which is why the audio is a little bit inconsistent, but I happen to think that that has some real charm to it, and you can I love that you can hear the congregation, and oh, Lord, I miss it. <laughs> and I know a lot of y'all are clergy and people in the pews, and we're all just missing that full church feeling, and I hope we can get back there soon. Anyway, the music that we use today is, as always, Destinazone, uh, Stay Calm by Dysfunction with a Y underscore A-L used with a Creative Commons license. Thanks, y'all, and may God bless you and keep you. <laughs>